This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Today, we honor nine individuals who exemplify the true spirit of our Latino culture and heritage. Liz Hernandez is a Mexican-American television personality and journalist. Alzheimer's is the most expensive disease we have in this country. Women, we are two-thirds of this disease. Two-thirds. This is happening a lot more to women. It does affect taxpayers because guess what? They're the ones who are going to pick up the cost for these families that don't have money put away. If people go and get tested, it would save us $2.3 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Ash Kalra, an Assembly member representing San Jose. Uh, with me today on this episode of Look West is Liz Hernandez. She's here in Sacramento to receive a 2018 Latino Spirit Award for Media and Entertainment, which actually just happened a few minutes ago, and it was very exciting <laughs> being on the floor of the Assembly to witness that. Uh, and, and we're very happy to have her here to talk about uh, Alzheimer's disease and the many challenges it poses for those who have it, their families, and our communities. Uh, Liz, it's great to have you here joining us on Look West. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, it's it's really cool to have the opportunity to talk to you, and I want to just really briefly um, touch on some of your background and, and part of your background that uh, I gravitate towards being a hip-hop head is when you're on Power 106. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, just that experience and, of course, your ability to touch so many people uh, that oftentimes, frankly, you think about the hip-hop community, you think about certainly in L.A. and Power 106 had a, 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 has a national, of course, following, but uh, you had the opportunity to reach folks that otherwise may not be aware of so many issues going on. And so how was, you know, did you take the opportunity when you're in that role to try to talk about issues, even though, you know, folks may not always be aware of what's going on? Well, I think the biggest issue or the one thing I really took away from radio is that we all want to know that we are the same. We all want to be heard. We all want to relate. And we all want to know that we matter. And that was the beauty of being able to talk to Los Angeles for so many years, because from the moment I signed on in 2000, 9-11 happened. And that was my first time really being thrown into hard news mm -hmm. and having to report to greater Los Angeles of what was happening in our country, which was so difficult. And then there was a lot of beautiful moments. You know, we were lucky to have a world championship basketball team like yeah. the Lakers and we got to celebrate <laughs> a lot of parades. Uh, and then the Angels won the World Series and we swore in yeah. our first black president, which was amazing yeah. to experience with all of L.A., you know. I equate it to like the characters of Friends. I was on this morning show for 10 years, so they went through everything with me. Yeah. And I went through everything with them. And it was so beautiful because there were times where I'd cry on the air because I got my heart broken and people would call up on the mm -hmm. phones and say, here, girl, here's the advice, or that happened to me too. Yeah. Um, I found out my dad was diagnosed with cancer um, one year I was on radio, and it was so nice to see so many people rally behind me and give me great advice. And now, you know, having trans... Um, transferred over to television and now the power of social media and being able to share my story of my mom's Alzheimer's has been mm -hmm. huge because, again, as I'm educating myself on the disease, I'm also educating other people as well. You raise a good point. And of course, we had to wait a few more years being in the Bay Area for the Warriors to win championships. <laughs> but, but to your uh, greater point that 9-11 happens and after that, it seems like whether you're on, on radio for a hip-hop station or whether you're doing late-night comedy, everyone kind of had the 
pay attention to that and, and talk about issues that maybe they weren't comfortable with before because the entire nation was going through a grieving process. But it seems even after that, like, you know, th- during the Bush presidency, then Obama, that even in the entertainment realm, more and more people were paying attention to what was going on. And I think we see that today probably more than we ever have, certainly in my memory, where entertainers, whether they're media personalities, musicians, what have you, feel compelled, athletes feel compelled to speak up about what's going on. There's a lot of responsibility because for a lot of people, we were the first news outlet that they heard at Mm -hmm. that time. You know, when I was doing radio, social media wasn't as rampant as it is now. And so there was so I remember when when we caught Osama bin Laden Mm -hmm. and it was on, I think, like a Sunday night. And I think the next day was something had happened. But we literally had to get in our cars, come down to the radio station and record something so that we could be – have our facts correct. We had to wait till the president made a speech. I mean, yeah. and what I realized is that even though we were a hip hop radio station, mm-hmm. that didn't define uh, who listened to our station. We were the people's station. Right. And, you know, a, a large majority of our audience was black and Latino. And they depended on us for a lot of their information. And so I took that with a lot of pride because, again, our it wasn't just us reporting the news. It was also our opinions. And That's we had right. to be very careful in what we delivered because sometimes your opinion can become other people's opinions or your opinion can backlash on right. what people feel about you and about the brand. So It's still a business and you have to be sensitive business, to that as yes, well. It's still a And you have to be sensitive to what other people feel, other religions, other nationalities. And I think that was what was really beautiful is because Los Angeles and even California is a melting pot. And it... It made me more aware, more appreciative, and just a little bit more open-minded. Well, it's interesting because if you think about the roots of hip-hop and how part of that, that as well as other forms of music, there was an expression of what was going on because the news wasn't reporting it, the media wasn't reporting it, and then hip-hop stopped doing that in many ways, at least right. commercially, and so it's great to see media personalities, radio personalities. I know you went on, of course, to enter the television realm with MTV and, and, um, and e, e! News to be able to, to actually go into more of that media role while at the same time still being under the entertainment umbrella. Well, that was what was really interesting. It was, you know, as much as I loved television, I lost my voice in television because you're no longer having your opinion. You're no longer talking about local news or national news. Now you're just talking about entertainment news. And even as much as I appreciated working at MTV and E! News and Access Hollywood, the one thing that I really started to understand was, yes, it's beautiful that Uh, my fellow Latina sisters and brothers could see me on this stage Mm -hmm. and I represented someone who hadn't been represented before. But what was my message? And to me, I think that was really evident when my mom got sick because I was only able to use my social media platform and, and a little bit of television platform to speak about it. But as my mom began to lose her vocabulary, mm. I thought, what is my message into the world? Our words are so powerful. I created a, a, a business or a brand called Wordiful, which stands for words are powerful, because again, I didn't want to just be boxed into this host. Yeah. I knew I had a lot more to say. And my parents, I was so fortunate. We'd sit around the dinner table and my dad would always ask us, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. And we'd say the parent approved answer, the politically correct yeah, yeah. answer, we'd say, oh, I want to be an attorney or I want to be a lawyer. And my dad would tell us why he would say, don't you want to work for the president? Don't you want to go to Hollywood and be an actor, an actress? Like 
I'm giving you the opportunity to be anything you want. Shoot for the stars. And because of that, he made us very courageous in what we, how we saw the world. And because I grew up in a, in a very fortunate household where our words were used to empower us, to uplift us, I saw it as my responsibility to all of Los Angeles who had supported me for 10 mm -hmm. years to give that back to them because I know a lot of people don't grow up that way. I know right. my circumstances. And I thought, what a beautiful way to honor my mom than to empower people with the words that she empowered me with. Well, that's amazing. And I think that it really shows how important it is, uh, that relationship with your parents. And as you said, some folks don't have that mm -hmm. positive role model, adult role models, whether it's their parents or otherwise. And I'd like to make note as we record this in uh, my office that we do have your father here yeah. with us. So it's great <laughs> to have him here and see him beaming with pride as, as he recognizes that you were listening. Because sometimes I think parents don't always know if it's actually getting through to right. their children. Clearly, in your case, uh, it did get through and, and you've had a tremendous impact. And I want to get to that if I could. Uh, starting with today, uh, Latino Spirit Award, being on the floor of the State Assembly with uh, so many great, wonderful honorees. I think uh, it was quite a collection of community leaders. And, and I think as Californians, uh, we are all very proud of all of the honorees, including yourself, of course. So, Thank you. Uh, what was it like when you were first were told you're getting this recognition <laughs> then being here today as well? Well, it's bittersweet. And I would not be here without the Alzheimer's Association, mm -hmm. Susan, who is here, yeah. uh, supporting me as well, because they really took me under their wing when they found out what I was dealing with with my mom. And they offered me this very humbling platform that I was able to use my voice for my mom. You know, these are the things, you know, you, I put myself in her shoes. And I think, you know, if I was going through this, I would want someone to advocate for me. I would want someone to know what I'm dealing with. And one thing I know about my mom, she would do anything for her family to the death. And so I know that she, as much as we've suffered through this, she would never want another family to suffer through it. So to me, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, but I really want to take the time to make people aware that this disease does not discriminate. You know, mm -hmm. I was very naive in thinking that, oh, this doesn't happen to Latinos. Like I saw Ronald Reagan have it. That was yeah. the only time I'd ever heard of Alzheimer's, you know, and maybe Lisa Gibson, who she was at the Times or Gibbons was um, mm -hmm. a huge advocate for it. And but again, that that's them. That's, that's not right. us. And then it came knocking on our door. And had we known the warning signs, had my mom, you know, you know, we took her to the doctor. But again, that's that's why I push early detection, that's because, right. you know, just reading the statistics, it's going to cost our nation. They estimate it would save us if people go and get tested. It would save us two point three trillion with a T trillion dollars. Yeah. And they're saying now by 2050, 16 million people will have this disease. And. And beyond that 16 million is what they don't understand is Latinos are at the forefront of this disease. And guess mm -hmm. what? It trickles down to their sons and daughters. You may be planning your, you know, you think you had debt in college and you got to pay off these college loans. Well, what's going to happen when your parents get sick because we're too proud in Latino mm -hmm. households to talk about money? Yep. We are too proud to ask our parents or too afraid to ask our parents, have you put away for your retirement? Have you put some money away if you get sick? And the reason why we have to have these conversations, people are thinking, well, this doesn't affect us. It does affect taxpayers because guess what? Right. They're the ones who are going to pick up the cost for these families that don't have money put away. And it's so important because 
you know, you think when one person gets sick, it's just, sorry, I, I have to keep yeah, saying yeah, this. Yeah. You think when one person gets sick, it's just that person, but it really does. I, again, I, I give so much credit to my dad who worked really hard and we were very fortunate and had funds put away. But had we not, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right mm-hmm. now because I would have quit my job and I would have cared for my mom. Well, you know, I've had the pleasure of being the chair of our aging and long-term care committee uh, in the state assembly for a little over a year now. And I've had the great pleasure of working with Alzheimer's Association and so many other advocates. And I got to tell you, I wish I could take you on the road with me as we fight for funds, as we fight for research, as we fight for bills that make it easier for families. Because everything you said is completely spot on. I've learned so much about it. And I've learned exactly the point you bring up, the, the burden on the families. That I don't think a lot of people recognize until they're put in that situation. And the other thing that I've really come to understand is that, especially in Latino households, the mother, she is the heart of the family. Mm -hmm. And women, we are two-thirds of this disease. Two-thirds. This is happening a lot more to women over the, you know, it, it, right now, we have from, from 55 to 75, we have to really look at this age bracket because this is the people that it's happening to. I mean, 55 is really young yep. and it's getting even younger and younger. My mom was diagnosed at 65. And the reason why I also talk a lot about early detection is because I wish, and again, this is putting myself in my mother's shoes. I wish we would have had an opportunity to catch it earlier because I would have loved to look across at my mom and say, mom, how do you want us to handle this? What kind of care do you want? Where do you want to live? What do you want? And as a child, it's heartbreaking when you are, for my father to have to make those decisions on someone Mm -hmm. else's behalf, hoping that this is what they would have wanted. Well, that's a great point. I mean, we don't have these kinds of conversations uh, in general, but you know, I'm South Asian, the Asian American community, Latino community in particular, in those communities, we don't talk about things publicly. We don't talk about things to the community. And so I want to give you credit because uh, anyone that's gone through what you've gone through, what your family has gone through, no one would blame you if you just wanted to keep it private. Right. But the and fact, I thought about you know, that for a yeah. long time because yeah. my mom, you know, that's the other thing. It's like, we don't, A, we don't go to the doctors. Yeah. <laughs> our generation, yeah. well, our generation does. My parents' generation is yeah. yeah. very, very few. Yeah. But, you know, the, the important part, too, is my mom was very proud Latin woman and she was very private. Mm-hmm. very private. So even when this disease came knocking on our door, I was hesitant to talk about it because I thought I'm disrespecting my mom. Right. My mom would be so embarrassed. She wouldn't want anyone to know. But then you have to stop and think about if I can save just one family from, because it's, it's excruciating to go through this. And if I can just help one family have a mother have a say in how she wants to be cared for or money be put aside or just change somebody's life in this regard because it's inevitable. Mm. It's going to hit certain people. And I'd rather them know as much as they can because I, I always said if I had been more educated, if I would have known the facts, if I would have known to take my mom to the doctors earlier, all mm. of those things, it could have saved us a lot, a lot of heartache. And frankly, and, and not, not to bring it to dollars and cents, but the reality is the state, as you mentioned earlier, is spending a fortune because we're not taking the steps necessary early enough and we're not investing enough when it comes to Alzheimer's research as well as supporting families. You know, Alzheimer's of the top 10 causes of death in the U.S. uh, is the only one that cannot be prevented, cured, or even slowed at this point. Now, we have some promising research, but it it costs money. It doesn't get the same attention in terms of funding as cancer, uh, heart disease, which all deserve the funding they get. It's not a matter of taking away from one for the other, but 
we need to invest more. And that's what I've learned a lot. And part of it is not just the research and the investment, but it's investing in the families, investing in, in day centers so that families can get respite from the caring for their loved ones and can stay employed rather than having to leave their job to take care of a loved one. Uh, and, and I think that you know we have to recognize that particularly uh, in the Latino community, in the African-American community, most of the families that are suffering don't have the resources not at all. to take care of their loved one. And uh, it, it puts a, a huge burden. And then you add on the fact of what you mentioned that they don't reach out for help. No. And help is there. Yeah. Uh, help is there. Resources are there. And the, in the legislature, I'm certainly pushing and other uh, colleagues of mine are pushing for even more resources and more assistance. But even the assistance that currently exists it's not being asked for by so many families. Most and, families so. I know that are affected by this disease are working in shifts. Mm-hmm. It's like the sister watches the, the, the somebody, the, you know, if it's the grandpa that has it, then the grandma's watching him, then the sister, then the dad, then the mom. I mean, and they're being shuffled around, which is also really hard for the person that's suffering from the disease. Because as we both know, you need consistency because the memory's fading. That's right. No, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do more of here is really think about long-term planning as a state. Just like we talk about families having the need to talk about things in advance before it becomes a crisis. Well, frankly, we already have a crisis in the state when it comes to long-term care. Right. Uh, but it's just going to get worse. Yeah. So I mean, last time I checked, now. I think it was Alzheimer's is the most expensive disease we have in this country. I yes. mean, that's the facts are the facts and the numbers are the numbers. And I think, you know, you know, it's, it's not just early detection. It's I know there's they, they say there's no preventative, but we really have to start looking at all these things. When I say preventative, the, the, it's something as simple as early detection. Mm-hmm. It's something as simple as having these conversations with your parents of knowing what the game plan is. Because, again, yeah. to think that it's not going to show up just because you don't talk about it is very naive because that's how we were as a family. We just thought, oh, yeah. Dad already got cancer. We're, we're in the clear. We, yeah. we got our one card dealt to us, yeah. you know, and that's not how life works. It's not. Unfortunately, it's not. And um, I'm happy to say he's a survivor. Well, no, that, and, and, and that's the thing. I think that uh, the reality is that there isn't any limit on burdens and obstacles we face in our lives and uh, being prepared for whatever might come our way. And just as you mentioned, the shifts, I'm doing, my father doesn't, you know, has some health issues, but not even nearly um, the, the level of what you've had to deal with. And yet even my brother and I are talking about, okay, what are we going to do now in the years ahead? You know, where is he going to live? He's going to move in with one of us. Is he going to, you know, wh- mm-hmm. how do we deal with the next several years of his life? Right. Uh, especially after he's given everything to us, yeah. right? And, and yeah. our, our parents do everything for us. And I think in our society, we get so bogged down in the now and 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 the future, and thinking about kind of what am I going to do for my career? What am I going to do? Right. What does my know, retirement plan look yeah, like? What's yeah. My retirement plan? No. And, and, people and, need help now, and those exactly. are our own family members exactly. that gave everything to us. And I think that uh, just because they don't ask for help doesn't mean they don't need the help. And I think we have to have that intuition and really be proactive and saying, no, we're here for you, and we're going to offer you that help uh, before something like yeah. Alzheimer's hits your family. Because in that case, then at least you had preparation. Absolutely. It. And that's the thing, too, you know, that I really want to kind of nail home is that, you know, we talked about cancer and you usually know the warning signs for that. You know that if you're not feeling well or something happens, stomach ache, headache, you get checked out. Something is there to kind of indicate something's wrong. 
with Alzheimer's, there is no indication unless you know the warning signs for, you know, I've had people come up to me and says, my mom's kind of doing this. Is And I always tell them, go on ALZ.org slash 10 signs, read those thoroughly because my mom showed almost every single one of those had I known that information. And again, it's just one of those things that can just save you from so much heartache because that's the thing too is is when any disease hits home the emotional toll you go you almost go blind you can't make good decisions you can't be an executive decision maker for your family because you're in so much emotional turmoil i mean i saw it happen with our own family everyone has an idea of what they thought was best for my mom and some families pull closer together some families pull apart and that's why it's so important to have a plan in play yeah. because just dealing with the emotional stuff is hard enough. And at least, you know, OK, we've got this set aside. We know what the game plan is. And now we can grieve, you know, without having to think about it. Well, your handle on the issue, both interpersonally as well as on the facts and figures and kind of the burdens uh, that it places on us uh, and our economy if we don't do something uh, is remarkable. And just know that your advocacy is not only helping families that are going through this right now. You know, I think that as you speak, whether it's on podcasts, radio, television, uh, just having other families going through this now, uh, but hear uh, what you have to say and that support. And then even more significantly, your advocacy, both here in Sacramento, as well as in Washington, D.C., for funding. Uh, you know, we cannot remain blind to this. Yeah. And that advocacy is so critical when someone like me is trying to push for funding or push for bills to get passed that help families, uh, knowing that there are community leaders that are willing to step up and help inform the greater public is critically important. So I, I know for a fact that not only are there many lives that you are saving, but you are relieving the burden on a lot of families as well. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's no surprise to me uh, that you were chosen for a Latino oh, Spirit thanks. Award because um, it's clear that this means so much to you. It's clear that although you and your family have suffered a lot, that your spirit is so warm in trying to make sure others don't suffer. And I think that's the sign of someone that was raised well and uh, the the sign of someone that gets it and and that can come through tragedy um, empowered. And I think that's a beautiful thing because it's a lesson that I think everyone out there, especially children, young people, uh, young adults, uh, always know no matter what comes your way, you can get through it and you can get through it stronger than ever, but you just have to believe and you have to have um, a, a strong family and a strong network to support you. Absolutely. And that's the thing I tell all of my friends, never be too proud to ask for help. You know, I'm so grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my faith. I'm grateful for my network of friends. And, you know, I'm just doing what I believe any daughter would do in this circumstance. There's no doubt that uh, you're a wonderful daughter, but you've also been a great community leader. And I think, on this battle, it's not going anywhere. No, so this battle against and Alzheimer's. It scares me. It scares me. And here's the the, re- the biggest reason why I, I really want people to pay attention and to listen is because I know how fortunate my family was that we had money set aside. Because even with that, we still went through a lot. We still went through. Even my even though my mom had the best care, it wasn't the best care. No. There was a lot of things that were wrong in the system that. You know, I'm so grateful to people from hospice and Mm -hmm. and other organizations like that and the Alzheimer's Association that kind of helped guide us to know right from wrong. But for the people that can't afford great care, what is going to happen to their parent? It's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's something, you know, 
I talk about this too is, you know, they say thy food is thy medicine. And that's a big component we have to look at because a lot of times, you know, people will put their parents in homes and then they have no idea what goes on behind these closed doors as well, especially if you can't afford the best of care, if there's not a plan in play or even in the home of knowing, can we afford the medication mom or dad needs or grandpa or grandma needs, whatever it is, and how long will it last us? And that is one thing I feel extremely grateful for, that that burden was taken off of my shoulders. And I give my dad all the credit and my mom, too, because they were really smart about mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, this isn't going to be forever. You know, we're not going to live forever. I think that's, that's right. the problem with with us as Americans is we think we're going to live forever. I know. You're actually right. I've heard about that you know? dilemma. Yeah. Of, of the, and that's why the we, mindset. Yes. Yeah. That's why we don't talk about, you know, our retirement plans, our Medicare and all of these things that we are going to need. Uh, and so I get very fearful for the families that don't have these things in play because, again, you know, if if someone has a dream of becoming whatever they want to become in life and that gets ripped away from them because yeah. now their job is to be a caregiver without them even realizing that that was their destiny. Well, I think that's what the role of the state is. That's what the role of government is, is for those that can't, that's what we need to step in and help them. But we can't do it alone. And so with your advocacy, the Alzheimer's Association and so many other advocates, you can help us, the state, help those families that can't do it. And yeah. I think that's really what the key is. Yes. Is, is making sure that we are providing that support. And so as we get close to the closing here, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. I want you to, even if you think this will never land at your doorstep, just educate yourself enough, be compassionate enough to know, because even if it doesn't happen to you, maybe it'll happen to a friend and your friend will say to you, you know, my mom's been doing these weird things lately, like putting her car keys in the refrigerator, because that's what my mom did. Go on to ALZ.org slash 10 signs and just read through them really briefly. And just so you know, it's the same thing like when we go on other websites to see what, you know, the signs of cancer are. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for us as a nation when this is the most expensive disease in our country. I think it is our obligation to know what the warning signs are so at least we can help each other. Well, Liz, again, congratulations and thank you so much for your advocacy. Thank you. Uh, And so that's it for this episode of Look West. I'm Ash Kalra. Thank you so much for listening.